1: progressive casualty insurance company and affiliates price and coverage match limited by state law
0: swing and a drive right field and deep That goes aquino it's got a chance gone get out the tape measure long gone fly the w Cubs fans, it's time to fly the W with Dustin Rhodes and Paul Crawley-Jean.
1: You are listening to Season 2, Episode 98, Cub Hall of Fame voting. Don't forget to listen, download, review, and most importantly, subscribe to the podcast. Follow us on the socials. Fly the W670 on Twitter, Instagram, of course. We're on Facebook and email us at flythew670 at gmail.com. During the offseason, baseball fans and cub fans alike look forward to the results of the Hall of Fame voting for MLB. The National Baseball Hall of Fame announces the 2024 class in a live MLB network broadcast, 5 p.m. Any players elected will be inducted into a ceremony, of course, in Cooperstown, New York. That's Sunday, July 23rd. Voting has already taken place for the 2024 Cubs Hall of Fame class. That'll be announced on January twelfth over at CubsCon. And today on the Fly the W podcast. We welcome in David Hall, one half of the Mully and Hall Show on 670 The Score. Mornings 530 until 10. David, not only a Hall of Fame voter, but also a Cubs Hall of Fame voter. And we are lucky enough to have him give us a couple minutes of his time to talk about the process. Hey, David, afternoon. How are we doing?
2: Doing well. Yeah, this was a big week because of the uh, Hall of Fame ballots due the Cub Hall of Fame voting kind of got leaked or at least the talk to talk about it thanks to bruce miles and i think it's an interesting conversation <laughs> so they kind of do intercross or uh intersect but uh, you know because of sammy sosa even though he's not on the baseball hall of fame ballot any longer but there are still the questions surrounding what do you do with the ped guys and yeah, glad to discuss that and even the anniversary of Dansby Swanson signing. If you want to,
3: <laughs> now you know I got to say when yeah I, I didn't know it would blow up as big as it did when I tweeted that out. I went to the Bruce Miles he had a a book talk and and it was I just thought it was interesting and the next thing I know it, it had over one hundred and fifty thousand like likes and stuff like that on there. So clearly people are interested in it. And and David, I was wondering how you got involved in the Cubs Hall of Fame committee and who else is also a part of that committee?
2: Cool. Yeah. So we can start there, Crawley and you, yeah, you're the blame, right? You're the (laughs) one who got this rolling, but, but I think it's a conversation we've had before Dustin. I think we even talked about it maybe last year or maybe one of the last couple of years. So I think it goes back maybe two years, the beginning of the Cub Hall of Fame. um, And they wanted to do something to obviously like a lot of teams, you see it with the bulls, with the ring of honor, um, to to preserve their tradition, honor their heritage, all those things, and I uh, was one of probably a dozen, maybe maybe eight to ten media members that were contacted, it, along with former Cubs and some other people, maybe a couple people in the organization, to see if we'd be willing to be part of this committee, uh, and they vote once a year, and I I agreed to it, um, thought I would see how it would go. This is a second year. That I've done it. Last year was the inaugural year, I believe. And Mark Grace and Sean Dunstan got in. And this year, um, we were given a ballot. We could vote up the six players. They were trying to progress They're trying to do do both. Honor the way, way back Cubs and then not forget the kind of current day cubs. And I think it's going up through the nine nineties, through the nineties in this batch. But um, so that's that's how I got involved with it. And they asked only that, uh, you know, you can talk about it, but don't reveal or divulge who you voted for.
1: So, David, you said you get a ballot. Who, I mean, are you at liberty to say? Do you know exactly? Is it, is it the Ricketts family? Who, who gets involved to decide who actually gets on the ballot that you guys end up voting for?
2: Who gets on the ballot is a good question. And I've never had it very clearly answered. I don't think that... It's any one guy. I do know that Ed Hardig, the historian, um, Big Jim is involved uh, in the in the organization. I think Crane Kenny may have a little bit of a say just as far as what's going on here, kind of an oversight thing. But to be honest with you, I don't know what Tom Ricketts' involvement it, I was basically told after we had this discussion, um, the inferences that we had on the air the other day, Dustin, I, I was told basically Tom Ricketts doesn't really uh make any decisions about the convention or really policy based on who's on the cub hall of fame ballot or not so my sense is that ed hardig comes up with a list of qualified candidates based on their credentials based on the statistics and then there's an element of let's face it popularity and fandom i think that's how you get mark grace and swan and dunston on the first on on the first ballot. that's why jody davis might be on this one the fact what they meant to cubs culture and it is rather uh, arbitrary uh, it, there's a lot of things involved that may not have anything to do with and it's not it's, it's not the same thing as the baseball hall of fame criteria it's it's vague but i think that when it when it, you go back to it the vagueness typically doesn't lead to controversy but in the sosa case there is an element of that so i think there's there's that that's hard to 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 wade through i'd like it to have a little bit more transparency. I'd like to have a bit more clarity, but the truth is I really don't know who makes up the ballot.
3: Well, this is the third class that's going in. And I don't know if you guys were involved in the first class. The first class was Jose Cardinal, Pat Hughes, and Buck O'Neill.
2: Thank you. I knew I was forgetting somebody. Yeah. So this is the third one. Thank you. Yes.
3: And then Grace and Dunstan was last year. Now, obviously, uh, you know, Dustin and I grew up in the 80s. Big 84 Cubs guys this is the 40th anniversary. When they give you the ballot, do they say, hey, you know, this is the, you know, the 80s and the 84 team. Is there something that's kind of mentioned? Do you guys consider those type of things like the 40th anniversary?
2: So when they put the names on the ballot and there were 12 names on this year's ballot, uh, they also, is an accompanying meeting that uh, the, the voters are able to gather and they talk about all these things. So that did come up. I, I wasn't able to attend this year's committee meeting, but I did get a, a, a tape of it. And so they go through every one of the um, every one of the candidates and, and why '84 was special and what they meant to in '98 uh, or Whatever, you know, Kerry Wood is on this year's ballot, for example, not exactly, you know, divulging secrets there. So Kerry Woods, uh, you know, for the, the start that everybody remembers when the, he set the record at Wrigley. And, and I think um, there are other guys who reflect an era. Dallas Green, his name is on the ballot. So I think, yeah, the specific niche each guy may have carved in Cub history is definitely brought up during these meetings. And, and it's, it's. I would liken it to, we all kind of know through Dan Pompey in Chicago, how the NFL, the Pro Football Hall of Fame electors get together. It used to be before the Super Bowl. Now it's at a different time. But basically you get into the room and you talk baseball. And so Cubs baseball, I missed it this year and I regret missing it. I just had a conflict, but it's it's kind of where all those things come up.
1: And it's not just media members, right? There's former players that are involved, which is another kind of wrinkle to it, which I think is pretty cool that they have a say in who is representing them as uh, Hall of Famer, Cub Hall of Famers.
2: I think you're right, Dustin. I mean, that, that's the that's the coolest thing, to be honest with you, because uh, – or one of the coolest things is that you don't want to say no to this because all of a sudden you're like – you know, you're in there and, and, and Fergie Jenkins is on there and uh, Rhino's involved and there, there's some other ex-players that you, you want to – you kind of want to know what their perspective is, and uh, that's why that's why it's it's valuable. They're going to come at it from a far different way than than a lot of media members who cover the team. They lived it, so if they say yay or nay to Sosa or yay or nay to Dallas Green, I want to hear why. I'm kind of curious to you know you, you can't really know how they're voting, but you can know how they're thinking, and that's some of the best parts of this because you're not just getting. just not getting the baseball writers, uh, a a viewpoint here. You're getting people that understand the specific culture and traditions of a franchise. And really from the player's perspective, people who wore the uniform and represented them.
3: Now, you know, do you think it's going to be harder for Sammy to get the votes from the sport, from the journalists or from his, the former hall of fame, from the hall of famers?
2: That's a great question. That that's a great question. Crowley. I, I would think that, I, w- I would think almost it'd be from the players uh, because there are a lot of people that, you know, my, my stance has been with the Baseball Hall of Fame that if you have a link uh, to, to PEDs and you're under suspicion that I'm not going to vote for you. And, and I think that it's easier when you're in the media to draw a, a hard line because, you know, it, it's not, not anything that I ever was tempted by. If you're a player, I think you go both ways, too. I Maybe players are more... Um, more forgiving, but then I'm thinking about where Ryan Sandberg's uh, Ryan Sandberg's comments when he went in, and and they were very pointed and direct. So I, I think that in the case of Sammy Sosa, my perception is the media covering the Cubs, maybe not on this committee necessarily, but the media covering the Cubs would be more permissive and accepting all this. All these years later, maybe some more conciliatory than maybe some of the players who did it the clean way, did it their way and resent any, you know, celebration of somebody who, who was thought not to have done that.
1: Now, I think the likelihood of Sosa getting in is probably small. If he was to get in and you've been involved in some, you've told some great stories about an interview that almost was, Do you think Sammy would accept the invitation.
2: I was kidding with somebody who was involved in the incident I, I've talked about on the air. I think it was 2015 when we were doing the Captain Haw Show. We were summoned down to South Florida and I love it. It was. Summoned.
1: We were summoned.
2: <laughs> we went to work that day. We we're gonna do the show and we canceled the show because we were summoned to South Florida. Sammy had something to say. And we flew down there. We got involved. We were getting ready to get into the cab. Those before it was Ubers, we were getting ready. We brought a camera person from Ryan McGuffey from NBC Sports Chicago, a <laughs> producer. We were all down there. We were all ready to go. And then Sammy, at the 11th hour after we landed, it sent word no, the Dominican government apparently had gotten involved. Um, he wasn't going to come clean. He wasn't going to acknowledge what we thought he was going to acknowledge. We had all the questions. I'd prepared the entire flight. And it was no go. So I tell that with the context and always remember that because even though Sammy Sosa could be inducted into the Cub Hall of Fame, and I don't know if he made it or not right now, guys, I really don't. If he does get inducted and there is a schedule where he's planning to attend the Cub convention and it's supposed to be at 515, Pat Hughes will introduce him at whatever hotel they're having at this year. And all of a sudden, you know what? Until he walks out on that stage, I will not believe he's gonna show. And I will not be confident that he will. It'll be like, all right, Sammy's ready. We're all here. I've been burned before. I'm not gonna fall for it again. Until he's hugging Pat Hughes on the stage, I'm not buying it. So that's what it would take. And Dustin, I think that's what it would, that's I think that's what would happen, right? If if they're welcoming Sammy back in and they're gonna induct him into their hall of fame, all's forgiven, not forgotten, all's forgiven. And I think that's kind of fun thing to consider because I think a lot of people, and I even catch myself like, boy, that would be cool. And then, you know, I, am not voting for him. I never voted for him for the baseball hall of fame because I have what I said, but there, there, there's gotta be a middle ground here. There's gotta be a way to acknowledge what he was accused to have done. And maybe him take some responsibility the way other players of his era have and been embraced. My God, how many times is A-Rod on television? He's a spokesman for MLB. So I think Sammy Sosa could be back in the Cub fold if they wanted him to be. Is it conditional? If it is, those are easy conditions, I think, for Sammy to meet because other players have met him.
3: But, David, you also have your Hall of Fame vote for Cooperstown, and this is the ballot that you that you just had released. And it's I think it's cool that you make it public, but you pick six players. You can choose up to ten. When you go through this process, you get the list – what is the first thing you kind of start doing when you're thinking to yourself, okay, who am I going to vote for, for the hall of fame?
2: Well, I go through it and I eliminate the people I'm not going to vote for immediately. James Shields comes to mind. What's he doing on the ballot? <laughs> uh, so I get rid of guys like that um, who don't really have a chance. I re uh, re-examine whether or not I believe what I believed last year about the PEDs if anything's involved. And then I, I, I look at some, uh, I think Fangraphs is, is a great resource in situations like this because of their way they measure all the metrics and then you kind of go through Dustin and i were talking on the other day you know does this guy pass the test is he a hall of famer when you say his name joe mauer it was for me adrian beltray eh, a little less so but then when you look at the numbers it's like oh my gosh he's got better number than joe mauer so the first time guys you think would well, they pass the the litmus test in terms of name recognition and then you start to probably it's it's, it's as easy as like just if you're writing a, if I, you know, if I were writing a feature about a guy, I want to know everything about his career. You do the research, you try to do some reporting. I might talk to a couple of voters who I know still, and hey, what are you thinking about this? Is this a good idea? What do you think about Billy Wagner? What do you think about Todd Helton? To get a cross-section of opinions, make sure you're not quite just on an island or, or a personal agenda. And then you sit down, you check the boxes, you do the research and you make your case.
1: Hey, David, for this audience, I know the answer, but uh, can you share the woulda, coulda, shoulda about Joe Mauer and the Cubs connection potentially?
2: Okay, yeah, 2001 MLB draft. There, Joe Maurer was a high school 18-year-old in St. Paul who grew up five miles from the Twins um, complex, from the Twins organization, from downtown Minneapolis. And they had the number one pick. Cubs had the number two pick. In that year, Mark Pryor was a USC pitcher everybody wanted and was going to be the guy ticketed for stardom. And so he says uh, he doesn't want to sign. He won't sign with anybody unless they guarantee him a major league contract. He's on the 40-man roster, and that means all the millions guaranteed. Well, the Twins the Twins were not going to, you know, just roll over and say, okay, because it's, it's not a big market team, and he wanted to be treated like a big market player already. The Cubs had them the number two pick. And the Twins, minutes up until minutes before they drafted, thought they might draft Mark Pryor still. And then things broke down 10 minutes before the draft. They get on the clock the in the room as the story goes, according to the Minneapolis Star Tribune. They didn't know who they're going to vote or, or, or draft, according to some executives there. They send in the name Joe Mauer. They call him. He's at his parents' home, or he's living five minutes away. He's got a baseball game that afternoon because it's noon. He's playing at three o'clock. He's got a party in the in the first floor. He's in his parents' basement. He picks up the phone. He was drafted by the Twins. They're five miles away. So he also had committed to play football at Florida State. Um, he was a quarterback, great athlete. He decided to go with the Twins. Mark Pryor falls to the Cubs. The Cubs were looking at Mark Teixeira. Probably they might not have drafted Joe Mauer number two. They probably would have leaned toward Mark Teixeira uh, from Georgia Tech with the number two spot, who ended up having a great career as well. But it could have gone prior to Teixeira, and then maybe Mauer. Who knows where? Instead, it went Mauer prior, and then Teixeira. Uh, and I think that the rest, the rest is history. But Joe Mauer stayed home and was one of probably the greatest athletes in Minnesota history.
3: Now, David, you know, there, there were three guys that got really, really close to getting inducted last year. You, you had Todd Helton at 72%, Billy Wagner at 68 and Andrew Jones 58 You voted for all three. For me, when I look at these guys, with Helton, I think the whole Colorado and the offense thing is just kind of silly. When I think about Billy Wagner, I don't know why people don't recognize closers as for their importance that they have. And then Andrew Jones is just a guy whose numbers, who I remember defensively being one of the best in his position and just being a great hitter. And I feel like he doesn't get a lot of love. Uh, Which of those three do you really feel confident is going to get in? And which one are you pretty sure is not going to get in?
2: Billy Wagner, I think is the one I would say as a closer is going in. He's got the lowest whip of any pitcher of the modern era. He's got a 2.3 career ERA. This guy saved 422 games. That's a ton. And so not, here's the, here's the stat, not no pitcher since 1900 with at least 900 innings pitched allowed fewer hits per nine innings than Wagner. He's got to get in the one I'm shaky on. Well, I think Andrew Jones deserves to go in. I'm not sure he's going to, he's a 10 time gold glove winner. He was on some great Braves teams, but he started to decline after hitting 30. And then he never quite made that up. He has a ton of career home runs, only center fielder with at least 400, 400 homers, and a defensive war of 24 or higher. I think he may have a better chance than Todd Helton. Todd Helton's going through the path that was traveled by and paved by Fred McGriff. If Fred McGriff can get in, goodness sakes, I think Todd Helton (laughs) deserves in because he's got the numbers. I know he played in Colorado. I don't think you can penalize So, Carly, I think it's a good point. It's a great debate. But if you're going to penalize guys for playing in ballparks like that, should you also maybe penalize? Are you going to have the same standard to guys who play in big markets? Because they're going to be more popular because they're going to get more attention. If Joe Mauer had played in New York, he'd be a no-brainer. Goodness sakes, he wouldn't be this guy who played in Minnesota and was overlooked all those years. So I think you got to take a consistent approach to all of those factors that you can't control. And it's not Todd Helton's fault that he hit in great altitude.
1: David, thanks so much for the time. Good luck with the uh, Take the North Bears podcast uh, for our Cubs listeners who are looking for some great uh, Bears content, great NFL content. Check that out. Have a great holiday. and appreciate you jumping on the uh, Fly the W670 podcast.
2: Thanks for having me, guys. A lot of fun.
3: Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you.
1: This is Season 2, Episode 98, Cub Hall of Fame Voting. Don't forget to listen, download, and subscribe to the Fly the W podcast. Don't forget to leave those five-star reviews in this segment. Crowley has already started his winter reading, and so can you. And you might have guessed it's about the Cubs. <laughs> and here's author and poet Sandra Marchetti joining Crowley to talk about her new book, Isle 228, that Cub fans are sure to enjoy.
3: Joining me now on the Fly the W podcast, I'm happy to have on my friend and author of this awesome book of poems, Aisle 228, Sandra Marchetti. Sandra, how are you doing today?
4: I'm good. How are you? As a loyal listener of Fly the W, I'm really happy to be here. Thanks so much for having me, Crawley.
3: Well, I'm glad you're here. And first things first, Isle 228 with this beautiful cover. What made you think of entitling this book of poems, Isle 228.
4: Oh, thank you so much. Yeah, so (laughs) back when um, the sections at Wrigley Field were called aisles, which wasn't too long ago, um, although things have changed now, um, my father and I shared season tickets with some of his work friends, probably for about twenty years, um, maybe from the age of ten for me to the age of thirty over an aisle two twenty eight, which are you know, their box seats behind first base, or they were at the time, and everything sort of shifted a little bit. But a lot of the book, pretty much most of it is written from the perspective of those seats. So there are a lot of games that are described in the book. And if you kind of think about the games that are described coming from that perspective of behind first base, that's sort of the thought process with the... Uh, with the title.
3: And I think why this book kind of struck me, such a chord with me, is that as you talked about, you know, this was from your perspective of going to games with your dad, and and you, you can kind of feel your dad interweaved in all of the poems kind of going through there. And as someone who, you know, I went with a lot of games, my dad is still with us, but you know, he hasn't gone to a game in a few years, probably since COVID, he's moved up to Wisconsin, and it's a little bit trickier now. But him and I had our section that we were in, aisle 306, you know what I mean? And, and just yeah. all the memories that you kind of make at Wrigley Field together. And, and especially when you're with your dad, you know, it, and whatever parent got you into baseball kind of creates a bond that's really special.
4: For sure. And I, you know, I dedicated the book to my dad. I put in the dedication. He taught me the strike zone, you know, <laughs> which I think for so many of us, our dad did that. Um, I think, you know, for me, the experience of going with him is so unique because we can both really talk about the game, we can talk about strategy, I'll go with other people and a lot of them are, you know, want to see the ballpark and want to walk around and You know, when I sit in the seats with my dad and we still go to games together, now we're in aisle 208, so or section 208, so come find us on the opposite side of the ballpark. Um, You know, people will turn around and say, wow, you really know the game, you know, or they'll think that it's two guys sitting there talking, you know. And so he really brought me into the game. I think there, in some ways, my father maybe wanted a boy. Um, (laughs) although he never complained about having a girl. And when I was a kid, you know, we would sit and like so many other kids, you know, I was an only child. We'd sit in the toy room, our, you know, den and watch the Cubs all the time. That was our main activity. We'd play with dolls and watch the Cubs. So, you know, my entire childhood, I, you know, I have those two to three hours a day with my father. And I think like, just that ability to communicate uh, about that thing and have that, it almost is like a love language, you know, <laughs> It certainly bonds so many fans together, you know, uh, it bonds families together as well. So um, that's why he's such a big part of the book.
3: Yeah. And, and, and you know, the, the, it's, it's funny because for me, like my dad is kind of the opposite personality of me. So he's much more calm and reserved and quiet. So I, I, I needed him to get through a few of, you know, crazy games. He's the one who, all right, don't worry. We're going to come back. He was the one that kind of kept me grounded when, when all of a sudden, you know, the Cubs all of a sudden just, you know, gave up a four run home run and gave up the lead. And I'm what was me And, you know, he was kind of always the pick me up and always the one that kind of said, you know, Hey, you know, let's, you know, and I swear to God, when we went through that 2015, 2016 run, I don't even know how I didn't get a heart attack without him. If it wasn't for him, I probably would have had a heart attack.
4: Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. (laughs) My father is very good at, he's like, almost has that scouts mentality that Mm. he won't put you on. He won't shine you on about a team. If the Cubs are really good though, he will say it. And in 2016, I mean, he said they have a real shot this year and he's really right on with his predictions. It's, it's sort of a sensei thing. So (laughs) that helped me out a lot because I said, okay, maybe it really will happen.
3: (laughs) Well, I picked a couple of, of the poems that really kind of struck a chord with me and you agreed to read them. We are going to just talk about them really quick here. And the first one that really kind of struck me was on page nine, it's called Praise. Why don't you give us a quick reading of Praise really quick here?
4: Absolutely. So, so this poem, Praise, is from the first section of the book, which, it, which is affectionately called Losers. Um, so that'll give you some context for this poem, Praise. Clutch the railing up the steps, shuffle to your pew, sing to a third if blessed, whisper cathedral. Then profess. We pray but witness awake most days. We slake ashes onto the track, a loudspeaker calls us back. The organ keys strike three, abide the Trinity. On Sunday, dressed our best, we crowd around the beaming green and rise as one spirits the blue tell me what do you do at church
3: all right i'm i'm going to tell you is that i am not a religious person and so for me like baseball has always kind of i feel like filled that void where it was to me it was my cathedral it was a place where belief is suspended and 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 like you know baseball was something is very holy and sacred to me obviously and and I'm not trying to belittle anyone or anybody's beliefs but but to me Wrigley is my shrine it is my temple it is where I go and and it is where where I pro- you know when 20 when we're talking about 2015 and 2016 I would go to Ernie's grave over at Graceland cemetery off of uh you know Irving Park and Clark before every game and just talk to talk to Ernie and just saying, please buddy kind of help us out here, you know? And so I think that's why this one really kind of struck a chord with me.
4: Yeah, I appreciate that. And you know, you're not the first person who said that obviously I feel the same way. I think there's like an interesting thing from a writer's perspective, this idea of metaphor comparing right baseball to religion and the ballpark to a cathedral. But for us, for fans, it's more than a metaphor it really is our lifestyle it really is how we live we live and die with this team you know we're there every single day giving hours of our life to this giving our anxiety our energy to this so you know i i think that there's so much richness uh, especially we know with the Chicago Cubs every line of this poem there's really some sort of easter egg for cubs fans <laughs> you know what uh, the the thing that inspired this poem in a real way was um Steve Goodman's a dying cubs fans last request so that is you know we all love go cubs go but I, that song really it it encapsulates so much of the cub fan experience and a lot of these little anecdotes i i got from that from that song or from, you know, stories I've heard of things that have happened at Wrigley Field or things that happened after the World Series or whatever. Um, and just the idea of getting together as this sort of congregation, this crowd singing songs, there, there's, and just seeing this thing that is otherworldly. It's, there's so many acts of faith. Um, when we watch sports, so I just there's a lot of richness there, and I don't think it has to be a commentary on anyone else's religion, but just a way to sort of say, like, look at these things and look how much they have in common and look how much they give to our lives. So, yeah, well, you,
3: you know, you know, before every game, they played that video clip of Bill Murray talking about his brother covering yes. his eyes and then walking him up the steps and then opening his eyes and seeing that feel for the first time. and you know me. I, I, I when my kids were little, I was so excited. I, I took them, and they were too little to even really remember their first games. But my nephew, he lives out in Colorado, and he's a big Cub fan, of course. Family, um, and I did that with him. I literally, it was a couple of years ago. I took him to a game and did the same. Put you know the hand over the eyes and let him see it for the first time. And it, it truly is a religious experience. Speaking about religious experiences, uh, on page forty six. This is one that really really got me in because I was there. And that mm-hmm. it, it, you called this poem Game 3 for the 2016 World Series and oh boy I I remember it even even though we're getting you know a few years away, you know, I, I still remember it like it was yesterday.
4: Oh yeah, absolutely. Um I w- so just kind of set the scene for this one. Unfortunately, I was not sitting <laughs> Was not sitting in aisle two twenty eight for this poem, but I was one of the rovers. I was outside, and my father was inside. He got a ticket. Um, The poem kind of explains that. But I was outside roving around. I made a lot of friends that night on the streets. Um, (laughs) But I'll read game three for the twenty sixteen World Series. I kissed my father's cheek for good luck in the firehouse driveway. We were twenty seven outs away from a series lead when he entered through Gate K. I took my seat on the Waveland curb and relayed Pat's play-by-play to guys in lawn chairs sucking booze through the scoreless game. Grandmothers perched as finches waited on my radios, say. The intersection bled into the ballpark's glow. From the streets below we held the diamond aloft on our exhales alone.
3: All right. So you talk about little Easter eggs. And I guess for me, gate K is the one that we always go through. That's the gate for us to get into to our seats. And then when when you mentioned the firehouse, um, before cell phones, if there's anyone old enough to remember, that's where we would meet people and tell people to meet up with us. Okay, right. well, let's right. meet at four o'clock at, at the fire hydrant in front of the firehouse, right? That was mm-hmm. it. Yep. And, you know, a lot of people did not make it inside for the World Series. And so I was at game three. And my brother who I was talking about, he flew in from Colorado to catch game three and I went with my dad to game five. But, you know, I, I saw the Rovers like you're talking about. Everybody and their brother just wanted to be in at Wrigley, whether they were in the ballpark or outside the ballpark. Yeah. And, and it was really a magical feeling that game didn't end. Like we wanted, I keep thinking if you were at the game, maybe it would have changed things, <laughs> but, but uh, yeah. you know, that was a, I, I think about the shutout, there was a, know. you know, Kyle Hendricks versus Josh Tomlinson. Yeah. And, and boy, you know, I re- I was after that game was over, I was really nervous. Cause I didn't think that John lackey had much left in the tank and I was right. And then you're facing down three games to one. What did your dad say to you after that game? Was he was he okay? Because I was pretty devastated.
4: <laughs> well, I was definitely the more devastated one is what I'll say. Um, he he is the slow and steady type, you know. So I think uh, I don't want to reveal too much about his age, but, you know, he's in his 70s. So I think at that point he was just really happy to see a World Series game. I talked to him a lot. I remember the Solaire hit. I want to say we were wondering if Solaire could have gotten an inside the park home run or made it to third base on some, some hit to right field. Like I was listening on the radio, so I didn't get to see it, but there was a lot of debate about that. And my dad was like, I don't think he could have, or I don't think he could have scored or whatever. Um, And, you know, Hendricks pitched really well at home. That's, you know, what Joe wanted was for him to pitch at home and he did a great job. And, you know, I mean, it was a really tough, tight game, um, so I think at, at the time we were just trying to figure out like, <laughs> how can we come back from this? You know, and obviously it took a miracle. We didn't think we were going to get down further. We didn't think we were going to all the way, get down to three, one, but you know, <laughs> obviously all's, all's well that ends well.
3: Yeah. You know, it's, it's, uh, for those of us that were there, that, that game three was just literally on your edge, chewing your fingernails yeah down to the stubs. And, and obviously we know it ended good, but. The third poem I had picked out was on page fifty, and of course it's the address we all know and love, ten sixty West Addison. And and there's a couple reasons why I like this one, but I'll let you read the poem.
4: Okay, sounds good, Crowley. Um, yes. Okay, so ten sixty West Addison. I think anybody listening to this podcast probably knows that's the address of Wrigley Field, but in case you didn't, ten sixty West Addison. Our childhoods hang like ghosts in the aisles, waiting on us to ascend the stairs, snatch and wear them. Little haunt, this was the first heartbreak we knew. We breathe the air and we are gone.
3: All right. So, you know, it's funny because I think of... You know, I, I'm one of those guys that takes a lot of pictures and has a lot of pictures over many, many years. And people love the picture of me and my dad in the bleachers when I was like five years old. And I got pictures of me when I was a teenager at Wrigley Field, 75th anniversary. And then I was there for the hundredth anniversary there for my, with my kids pictures, you know, there with my grandparents back in the day with my grandfather and my dad, you know, there, when we think about the ghosts of Wrigley Field, the people that kind of, you know, that we remember, you know, whether it's, whether it's somebody like Ron Santo or Ernie Banks, it's weird. I remember sometimes I'll just walk by a spot and I'm like, that's where I shook hands with Tommy Lasorda, you know, who's no longer with us. And, mm-hmm. and, and, you know, Wrigley, like, like it said in the movie field of dreams, baseball is the only, you know, the constant in your life a lot of times. And mm-hmm. and that's where, you know, I think about myself now and, and I'm just like, Oh my God, it's, you know, for, I see younger people out there now making their memories, maybe having their first beer at Wrigley Field or, you know, it's their first game and now they got these little certificates and stuff like that. But I think it really speaks to a lot of different Cub fans.
4: Yeah. Well, I hope so. You know, I was a little bit nervous about putting this poem last in the book, but if you look at the cover of the book too, it's a night game. This is a beautiful photograph that Danny Rocket, our friend from the Sun Ranto uh, cast um, took at a game, I believe it was in 2016, um, but I wanted that like m- ghostly feel. You know, I even we talked about Steve Goodman, gone way too soon. You mm-hmm. know, just, those ghosts are all around Wrigley Field. Um, and sometimes when you go to other ballparks too, but we can all feel it at Wrigley. And, you know, for me, I wanted to bring in that moment, like you were talking about before, uh, going up the stairs, um, and as you know, I can feel it myself. Like as a little girl going up the stairs, seeing the striking blue and green for the first time, and then all of a sudden, you're a thirty-something-year-old woman, you know. And it's like, where do, where can you find your childhood again? Like my childhood is at Wrigley Field. Every time I go there, I can feel like the whole history of my life and all these wonderful memories that I've had. It's sort of cliche, of course, but those are the things that are most important to us. Right. You know, and it's funny, it's really ironic because we know with the Cubs it's not always, you know, the most, uh, what do I say? Mutual relationship. (laughs) Like the team is terrible sometimes and we hate them and we wonder why we spend so much time, you know, with them when they're just going to let us down. But there are some constants in our life and for sure, this is one of them for me. So I like that idea of being able to go to Wrigley Field and try on my childhood self in a way, whenever I go there, you know,
3: was it, What was it? Dorian Gray, the, the Dorian Gray's painting, you know, where, where the yes. painting just ages and, and yes. You know yes, I keep, I keep thinking I'm still like, every time I go to Wrigley Field, I feel like a kid. And and the years are starting to catch up with me a little bit, but, but every time I go there and you can ask any of my friends, anyone, like the second I get within like a block and a half radius of Wrigley, all of a sudden I start walking really fast. People are like, Hey dude, are you going to walk with me or in front of me? And I'm like, Wrigley feels right there. Like, like it's the right. first time I'm ever going. Right. It's, I still get that feeling. And so, me too. you know, I, I think Cub fans will really enjoy this book aisle 228 and it really, speaks to the heart of Cub fans. It just, you know, like I said, there's everything in there to kind of, to connect you to the team. And, and you really captured the spirit of Wrigley and Cub fandom brilliantly in this book.
4: Oh, thank you so much, Crawley. I appreciate it.
3: Where can our listeners pick up their own copy of aisle 228, 228? 228.
4: There are so many options for you. You can buy it anywhere online, Amazon, Barnes and Noble, all those sorts of places. You can buy buy it direct from the publisher at tamupress.com or you can find me on social media and I'm more than happy to sell you and send you a signed copy. And I, I need to sign your copy at some point, probably, hopefully this coming summer. I
3: Absolutely. I was going to bring it to Cubs caroling, but I'm like, that's just going to get ripped wet and lost. Not yeah,
4: <laughs> I know. I, uh, I felt the same way. I was like, maybe I should bring a couple books. No.
3: <laughs> and where, Sandra, can they follow you on the socials?
4: Yes. So on Twitter, Blue, Blue Sky and Facebook, I'm at Sandra Poetry, just my first name plus poetry. Um, and then on Instagram and threads, I'm at Sandra M, like my last name, Sandra M Poetry. So find me. I love connecting with Cubs fans. Um, that'd be great.
3: Sandra Marchetti, author of the book, two, Isle 228. Thank you for jumping on. Thank you.
1: This is episode 98, season two, Cub Hall of Fame voting. Don't forget to listen, download, review, subscribe to the Fly the W podcast. Don't forget to leave those five-star reviews. In this segment, we talk about the news, the rumors, the events surrounding the Cubs and Wrigley Field. And right now, Crowley, the uh, hot stove continues to be ice cold.
3: Yeah, you know when Andrew McCutcheon getting signed is big news. Uh That that just kind of tells us where we are. You know, the Tigers signed Jack Flaherty to a one-year deal since the last time we spoke. Like I just mentioned, the Pirates are going to bring back Andrew McCutcheon one more year, so let's see what happens. We had a little trade action. The Brewers traded Adrian Hauser and center fielder Tyrone Taylor to the Mets for right-handed pitcher Coleman Crow. A little trivia question question a little trivia answer for you right here tyrone taylor made the final out in alec mills no hitter against the brewers okay uh the kansas city royals signed free agent hunter renfro that's it dustin that's all the excitement we got the cubs have done very little and the pissing match with scott boris continues uh the cubs have agreed to minor league contracts with an invitation to major league spring training With catchers Jorge Alfaro, they signed catcher Joe Hudson and left handed pitcher we talked about, Thomas Pannon. So all of those, those are the three moves that the Cubs have made. All three of them, like I said, uh, it's a minor league contract with an invitation to major league spring training. So if you're a guy like me that likes to go out to Arizona, they have the the premier fields, which are all the people that are invited to uh, major league roster. That's all the obviously the 40-man the roster and, and anyone that's invited. So these guys are going to be invited and have a chance to compete for a job. And then everyone else goes on the backfield. So, um, you know, another backup catcher. So, I mean, that's clearly what they're auditioning. Um, whether they're going to keep both, I don't know. But uh, we'll see what happens.
1: Yeah, we'll see what happens. There's some, uh, you know, we'll see what happens. We, we can't uh, rule anything out. Again, today is the anniversary of uh, – Dansby Swanson, so that was something that I thought might be <clears throat> a benchmark, right, that uh, we might see happen, but uh, uh, nothing yet. Maybe maybe later, maybe we'll have to have an emergency podcast. But we did get some uh, news on the Cubs as far as the coaching staff goes.
3: Yeah, Craig Council at least has made a few moves. Sahad of Sharma of The Athletic reported that Council has added bullpen coach Darren Holmes and catching coach Mark Stripmatter to his coaching staff those guys are going to replace Chris Young and Craig Driver, who were let go before David Ross was fired. Now you, uh, we have uh, – council's already gotten Ryan Flaherty as his new bench coach. John Mailey, we've talked about, is back as the Cubs' assistant hitting coach when Ron Washington went to um, Anaheim. And then uh, those are all the new members of the coaching staff. And then we know hitting catch – hitting coach Dustin Kelly, pitching coach Tommy Hadovy, assistant, p- assistant pitching coach Daniel Moskus, and then Mike Napoli at first and Willie Harris at third are all returning as it looks like council's coaching staff is getting finalized and an announcement is expected shortly.
1: Now, when you say shortly, is that like Cubs con shortly or what do you think?
3: Oh, I think it'll be before CubsCon. Cubs con. I don't think there's much left for them to do. So,
1: okay. Well, that's, I, I, you know,
3: a lot of, a lot of people do take this time off at 1060 West Addison, uh, obviously not Jed and Carter, but a lot of people. So, I mean, I think with the media and everything like that, they'll probably do it sometime. Well, after. I'm thrilled. I'm thrilled. Tommy Hottaby's
1: oh, back. So that's good news for us. I mean, uh, so
3: many, yeah, he, you know, he'll have his continued appearances on the Mully and Haw show. And, and, and you know, just some continuity. D- Dustin Kelly, again, had, you know, there was some good hitting going on last year. So he's back. And then John Maley, even though he's new, it, it provides some continuity for the AAA guys or other guys. He and Haps worked with uh, Mailey for years um, and then so Napoli and Willie
1: Harris coming back. That's good news. I think too.
3: Yeah. So I think, I think it's, it's not a huge turnover that everyone's going to have to get used to new guys. So I think that's going to help with the transition.
1: And then uh, Jesse Rogers had some news about some uh, rules that are going to go into effects next year.
3: Yeah, Dustin, you know, we were very positive. We thought we thought that the new rules went pretty well last year. Right. But yep. uh, they're, they're continuing to tinker in 2024. We're going to have an 18 second, Pitch uh, clock with runners on, as opposed to twenty, four mound visits as opposed to five, and then if a pitcher starts to warm up before an inning, he must face at least one hitter. So that happened a couple times this year, where a pitcher was warming up, and then all of a sudden, when the batter was announced, then they switched the pitcher to kind of mess around. So um, they've also widened the runners. No more lane. shenanigans,
1: Crowley. No more shenanigans.
3: No more shenanigans. The runner lane has been widened uh, from to the infield grass on first base. Um, just to let you know, though, the players' union opposed these rule changes. Of course but MLB they did. Ha- of course <laughs>
1: they did. Right? We have to argue about something.
3: MLB has the majority of seats, though, in the competition committee, and so the rules pass and will be implemented in 2024. But here's what I'm going to say about that argument, Dustin, between obviously the MLB, uh, the rules committee, and the MLBPA is that I would rather this, to me, I, is going to change very little, in my opinion. I don't think it's, the one thing that might be the big one is the pitcher has to face someone when they're warming up before an inning. You know what I mean? No more shenanigans like you said. But I would rather they fix this off season, Dustin, rather than doing these little nitpicky-type things, you know, like, oh, we're going to shave two – Two seconds off the pitch clock. You know what the problem is right now Dustin is I thought it was a very successful year with the rule changes. I don't think they need to add anything, but this off season has just been absolute trash and boring and, and and just ridiculous. They have to do something and I know, you know, we're we're not in a collective bargaining uh you know, we're not in the middle of a we have an agreement. There's an agreement in place, so you don't want to reopen that up. No way anyone's going to want to reopen that up, but they got to fix this because this has just been not good for the game. It's not exciting. It's not interesting. Um, You obviously are working sports media and you talk about other sports other than baseball, but I mean, baseball just really isn't, you know, there's no conversation. There's no excitement going on right now. Yep. They, they
1: lost all their buzz per se.
3: Right. And I just think they, they have to put some sort of deadline you know have it be uh, you know the, the day before your new years cuz we don't want to deal with this at uh, we don't want to do an emergency podcast on the 31st but do it january you know do 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 it december 30th have a deadline and say okay if you want to sign a multi-year contract it has to be done by december 30th if you want to sign a one year contract then you can do those after december 30th right
1: right that makes sense i li- i like that idea that that that's good
3: Yeah, it just, I I just feel like, you know, you want people to be interested in in the sport. You want people to be, you want to be, you know, people talking about the sport, all of those things. And so I think that's kind of the way that we need to look at this.
1: Good idea, Crowley. You are full of those, my friend. (laughs) All right. So what else do we've got? We've got some uh, young Cubs getting some extra Christmas money. You're telling me.
3: Yeah. During the last CBA negotiations, the players fought to get some of the younger players some more money. I mean, Dustin. The way it works is you got you got to make it through all the arbitration years and all this stuff before you start making the big cash. I know people think about like you know Shohei Otani making the big money or or you know Bryce Harper or any one of those guys, but the majority of players don't make that much considering how short their careers are going to be. And so during the last CBA, they they, both sides agreed to a pre-arbitration pool that's divided among young players. And so. For example, uh, AP put this out. The uh, Associated Press put this out. An eligible player gets $2.5 million for winning an MVP. Or if you win a Cy Young award, you get $1.75 million, you know, uh, those type of things. And so the Cubs, there's also a math formula. That you can kind of work on this. And so a player's eligible for to receive a bonus. and And so there's a formula. And and they used war wins above replacement, which we've talked about on the show before, and so because of that formula, players got a little bit of extra money that they normally wouldn't have gotten. Justin Steele uh, got the most with one million six hundred seventy three thousand, and so part of that money came from him fin- finishing fifth in Cy Young voting. So Dustin, you know, I remember when we talked about the Cy Young, and I was upset he didn't get third. Um, this is kind of part of the reason is is he he would have gotten more money if he would have gotten third as opposed to fifth, but hey, you know what he got he got a little bit of extra and then plus what he provided the Cubs with the wins above replacement he gets some money. Edward Alzali got two hundred sixty three thousand dollars and Javier Assad got two hundred sixty one thousand dollars. Hey,
1: that's nothing to sneeze at, especially no, for a it, of young guys. Yeah,
3: right. And and I think cheers to MLBPA because sometimes you know, think about who the ones are that are going to be doing most of the negotiating. It's going to be older players, right? Yep. And so the young guys kind of, you know, everyone says they have to like, you know, take their lumps, take some time, et cetera, et cetera. I think that this is going to really kind of help in the long run. And I hope again, in the next CBA um, that they start to do a little bit more with the uh, young players and continue to give them their due.
1: Yep, no doubt about that. All right, last thing, Crawley, CubsCon update.
3: Yeah, we talked about CubsCon last time, Dustin, and you know how it was going to be a little bit different, I think that we said than years past. There's going to be no uh Ricketts family forum, no business ops. You know, I have it on the screen if you're subscribed to the 670 the score YouTube channel. Um, but they did have a couple things that we were kind of both looking at, and one of them was the Sweet 16 squad. And the other was the core from 84. This being the 40th anniversary, Dustin, gosh, does time fly of uh, that 84 team? But we kind of, it looks like, and I don't know if this is a final, we're going to have someone from the Cubs talking about us, about CubsCon after um, the holidays. But this is what it said for the Sweet 16 squad Matt Caesar, Ben Zobris, Pedro Strope, Miguel Montero, and Justin Grimm. Your guy, Miggy Montero. Yeah, Miggy's. He's back. Miggy always goes to the Cubs con and he's a guy that understands what it's all about. But uh, when you, when you look at these guys you look at Pedro and Ben and, and you know, they were especially Ben Zobris, he's your world series MVP. Miggy Montero had the, the hit that drove in the, what ended up being the deciding run Um, as a Cub fan. You know, I know you're thinking like, okay, this doesn't sound like the, the, the big guys from 2016, but a lot of them are still playing. When you talk about Kyle Schwarber, Anthony Rizzo, Chris Bryant, you're not going to get those Javi Baez. Uh, Those guys are all on other teams, so they're not coming to the Chicago Cubs fan convention. The one that really has me excited, though, Dustin, is Justin Grimm. He hasn't been around for a while, so um, I'll definitely have my autograph marker ready, and hopefully I can get a Justin Grimm autograph. I'll be uh, trying to get that. The other is the core of 84, and we talked to David Hall a little bit earlier about the Cubs Hall of Fame, and like I said, I kind of think that they're going to elect people from this 84 team. But here are the guys that are going to be on the 84 panel, Jody Davis, Bobby Dernier, Gary Matthews, Ryan sick, uh, Sandberg and Rick Sutcliffe. But the guy that I did not see on there, and I know you kind of joked around a little bit about it last time was Leon Durham. And so I thought that if you really wanted to recognize two players from the 84 team, it had to be Jody and Leon. Those were guys that were long, you know, were there for a long time. um and, and I'm hoping Leon Durham is going to be invited. I hope he accepts. Um guys are weird. You never know how they how they react. I, I've seen Leon at a couple autograph signings, and I can tell he's not hundred percent comfortable doing it. um, but I would love it if he still kind of came around and, and was a part of this. But just kind of reading the tea leaves there trying to figure out who exactly from is going to be coming at CubsCon, and that's part of the fun of it is what players are are going to return which ones are going to be signing autographs those type of things
1: right but it's fun to get a surprise right you don't want to you don't have to know everything Uh, ahead of time you only (laughs) want to know so you have all the proper stuff with you to get the proper autograph right i I mean that's that's
3: i will have all the stuff with me regardless of who shows up because some of the stuff's teen size stuff but it does give you a little bit of idea to plan i mean as far as surprises eh. I can live without him, but I'm just kind of looking at the 80s team. And Jody Davis was with the Cubs from 1981, Dustin, to 1988. So was Leon Durham, the exact same time frame, 1981 to 1988. And then the funny thing is Matthews, the Sarge, and Dernier both came in 84 and both were gone from the Cubs in 87. Uh, They came from the Phillies um, with with the GM, but – when you think about, like I said, Jody Davis and Leon Durham, those guys were the best at their position throughout the '80s, yep. and I and and they were there the longest. They were other than you know Sandberg, really. They were the longest tenured when you talk about '80s. Yep, it should
1: be fun. That uh, I, I'm really curious to see that panel. Well, Crowley, that's a wrap. Don't forget to listen, download, review, and subscribe to the Fly the W podcast. Follow us on the, the socials: Facebook, Instagram. You can email Crowley and I fly the W670 at gmail.com. You can watch us on YouTube by subscribing to the scores YouTube channel. We hope each
3: and every one of you have a great Christmas. And don't forget to leave those five-star reviews. Tell a friend about the podcast and go. Uh It's all over.